Welcome to Vegan Business Talk with Katrina Fox, author of Vegan Ventures, Start and Grow an Ethical Business. Hello and welcome to episode 42 of Vegan Business Talk. I'm Katrina Fox, journalist, author, media and PR coach, copywriter, editor and proofreader, and founder of Vegan Business Media, a content, events and training platform providing success tips for vegan business owners and entrepreneurs. In this episode, I interview Elizabeth Olson, founder of Olson House Pure Vegan, a footwear company that was launched in New York in 2008. Just two years later, in 2010, the line was sold in 16 countries in prominent retailers, including Barney's and Nordstrom, as well as eco-boutique stores. Both the brand and Elizabeth have been featured in a ton of high-profile media, including the New York Times and Wall Street Journal. Olsen House shoes have captured the attention of celebrities, including Emily Deschanel, Alicia Silverstone, Gwyneth Paltrow and Cameron Diaz, and have even been displayed in museums. Before launching Olsen House, Elizabeth held a number of prestigious positions at renowned brands, including creative director for Tommy Hilfiger handbags and in creative direction and design for Calvin Klein, Nine West and many others. She also had a career as a wardrobe and prop stylist in film, commercials and print for clients including Nike, IBM, Nissan and Universal Studios and was the producer and head of wardrobe for the photography agency Superstock. During her travels for these companies, Elizabeth witnessed the horrendous animal cruelty, devastating environmental pollution and hazardous working conditions in the leather industry and launched Olsen House as a socially conscious alternative. Elizabeth runs the business out of Florida nowadays and is writing a book on consciousness. In this interview, she discusses the psychological strategies she uses to educate retail buyers to overcome resistance, overwhelm and defensiveness, why she decided to launch her online store after initially doing wholesale only, why she's joined forces in collaboration with two other vegan brands, including another vegan shoe company, how she got her shoes on the feet of celebrities, the importance of having legal counsel to protect your business, and much more. Here's the interview with Elizabeth Olson from Olson House Pure Vegan. Hello, Elizabeth. Thank you so much for joining me today. Hi, thank you for having me. (laughs) So I'm interested in finding out what was your why? What's your reason or your driving force behind running um, Olson House? Mm Mm-hmm. Well, um, I worked in the fashion industry for many years and um, was already like a vegetarian since I was 15, actually before that. So I wasn't eating animals, but here I was working in the fashion industry, mostly designing the bags, so um, sketching uh, handbags and footwear. And then um, I was working freelance for a lot of different companies. And then I got a position as the creative director for Tommy Hilfiger Handbags. Oh, wow. Yeah, I was making six figures, corner office, floor-to-ceiling windows, like the whole uh, New York thing. Um, and when I started there, they had just a, um, a, you know, a PU line, an alternative leather line. And we did that for about a year. And then we got a new CEO, and she wanted to launch a leather line. And when I uh, went overseas, I had to tour the 
tanneries in uh, Korea and China. And uh, it was a really eye-opening experience. I mean, I had to put on a hazmat suit and the smell was just overwhelming, uh, like chemical that smelled toxic. Um, and just seeing how the workers had to work with these chemicals and all of the runoff that then eventually becomes, you know, environmental pollution. Um, and as I was sitting down, I had to go through this whole pile of um, skins from, I believe it was um, sheep, actually. Um, and I had to look at the whole pile of skins and they were dyed blue, which blue is a very different, difficult color to dye. And you could see all the marks on the skin, and I had to reject a lot of the skin because with the big pattern pieces of the handbags, it wasn't going to work. Uh, and I just had this moment, like, here I am flipping through animal skins and having to reject them, and I'm not eating animals. Like, and I was so ashamed of myself. How did I not put two and two together? Wow. And... Um, it was at that moment I came back home to New York and uh, left my job and did a lot of research on leather and the process. And uh, I'd already worked in handbags for a long time, but I didn't see, and there were there was already like mat and mat and vegan handbags were kind of easy to find, but it was the shoes. Um, at the time there was like Stella McCartney or Payless. There wasn't kind of that like in between brand. So you know, using what I went to school for and my knowledge, I was like, well, I'm going to start that brand and be open about being vegan and teach people about the process of leather. Wow. Um, Gosh, I love that story. I'm so glad you've shared that because a lot of people don't realize, um, you know, what goes on with leather. Somehow leather sort of positioned as this kind of nice, you know, environmentally friendly, uh, you know, kind of durable kind of product. But I, it's really great yeah. that you've raised that, you know, about both the workers that suffer, the animals suffer and the planet suffers. It's actually a really pretty awful material. So I'm, I'm really glad that you shared that. Wow. I didn't it, know you'd had it that. It really is. Experience. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's, People think of leather as like a byproduct, like, well, they're going to kill the animal anyway, so then we're just doing a good thing and using all of the animal. That's um, what I used to think. I justified that when I was a vegetarian. Right. I thought, oh, yeah, it's okay to still wear the leather shoes because it's exactly that. Yeah, um, but it's it's not true. Obviously, um, it contributes to 25% of the slaughterhouse's profit. So, you know, a slaughterhouse is making money from... Um, it's actually not a very profitable business in and of itself. It's only because it's subsidized by the government. Um, and then the selling of the skins, are they able to like survive? Do you know what I'm saying? Right. So yeah. it's supported by these other things. Um, what shocked, what was shocking to me is that like, I'm, I was into animal rights. I mean, when I was in high school, my friend and I started the uh, first animal rights club and we would show, you know, wheel in the VCR with the giant TV strapped to the, you know, <laughs> wheelie cart. And we put in the, um, the people for ethical treatment of animals videos, you know? And so here I was very, very passionate about animals lives. And I still was wearing leather. I mean, I wasn't like consciously seeking out leather. I just, if I saw something and I liked it, I bought it. I wasn't yeah. saying, is it leather? Is it not? So as conscious as I was about the animal's lives, it's still, and for so long, you know, like 20 years, it still didn't translate into leather for me. So I understand where the mass consciousness is at, but things are getting expedited now. You know, the vegan foods and 
awareness of protein and bodybuilding, all the all the kind of body awareness things are happening. So I feel like more consciousness is going to come into the um, the fashion area, and people think it's already taking off. I don't think it's even begun to take off to take off yeah. yet. Well, you're one of the pioneers, and you're right. I think uh, I thought that as yeah. well. I felt really, really guilty when I first woke up, particularly about dairy. And I was like, because same as you, I was doing animal rights activism. I was even around probably vegans, and I hadn't learned the term vegan until many years yeah. later. And I think that just goes to show, I think that how insidious it is, and what a, a good job I guess these industries do of of brainwashing us. So, uh, but oh, you're right, it's, it's great. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. yeah I mean, it's like. <laughs> the mind programs going on concerning animals and women, it's all tied in. So it's like animals and women, because that's where yes. we're getting our dairy from, the female cows. Um, it, it's, yeah, it's all tied in together. And it's this like giant mind program with many layers. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So, um, I mean, I look forward to the mass consciousness coming into higher states of consciousness. Um but for me, I feel like it's taken a long time because I've been doing this a long time. And How long has um, Olsen House been going, um, Elizabeth? Um, How many years are you in yeah. there? I launched it in August of 2008. So next month is eight years. Oh, nice. Excellent. Mm-hmm. I haven't done anything in my life for eight years. So the fact that <laughs> <laughs> this, this company's outlasted relationships, places I've lived. <laughs> positions I've had <laughs> and, you know, honestly there's it's been kind of a roller coaster of ups and downs in businesses and there's been times when I've been like you know do I should I keep doing this should I do something else but um it just comes back to the reason why I started it which is for the animal right and right. I just adjust my lifestyle to keep the business going Awesome. Can you tell us about some of the key challenges you faced when you first started up Olsen House and then maybe um, how they've changed as you've grown as a business? Mm-hmm. It's been it's been a little bit strange because when I first launched, um, I immediately got press and orders. So it was like the newness of the brand. And, you know, at that time, my, um, I guess my will to make it happen was super strong. You know, I was like, this is happening. Um, and then uh, I went through a couple different showrooms and, um, you know, I've got, I've got some orders along the way and, and kept, built, you know, building up, uh, you know, customers and social media and things like that. And then um, some personal things started happening in my life, uh, family things, and it affected the business because I had to leave New York and pull away a little bit. So, um, never pulling away from fighting for the animals and still, still producing and everything, but not, not the pushing that I was doing. Not, I wouldn't even right. say pushing. I would just say, I mean, I was working 16 hour days and I just simply, when I had personal things going on, I couldn't work 16 days. I just wasn't able to, sure. um, yeah. the biggest challenge for me, because <clears throat> when I, when I started the company, the original thought was, um, you know, I really didn't know any other vegans either. I knew scattered people here and there that were vegetarian, but um, I didn't know. The, all the vegan people that I know now, I did not know when I started the company. And um, I made the company to reach people who aren't vegan, you know. I didn't make the company for vegans, you know. Right. Um, 
my mentality has always been to get it into the mainstream. And I have in, you know, Fred Siegel and Nordstrom and, and bigger, more well-known stores than that. I love the little eco boutiques, but, you know, it was my main focus to get into the masses. And the problem there are, is, are the buyers at these stores who a lot of them are um, older women or been at the company a long time. And they have that same mindset of leather is quality. People will pay more money for leather. So my biggest challenge has been not only educating them against, you know, about something that is like the opposite of everything that they're buying. So there's like resistance there. There's all kinds of mixed emotions of them feeling, um, oh, well, this is cool. This is, you know, this is the truth and this is the direction we should be going in. But the transition from having an entire floor of all leather shoes to what I'm talking about is overwhelming. And then I've seen people get defensive. I've, I've seen like everything. I and, bet. <laughs> yeah. And uh, that's really the biggest challenge is getting through to these buyers who, who just will not budge on this mindset of leather is the luxury standard and people will pay more money for it. I've literally yeah. had people say, no one's going to pay, you know, $150 for this pair of shoes because it isn't leather. Yeah. It's it's an interesting one, but you know what you meant. You mentioned about how things are changing. There was an article recently. I think it was in Forbes or you know one of the big business magazines about Rolls mm-hmm. Royce. You know the the big you know mm-hmm. huge mega luxury car manufacturer. Mm-hmm. They're actually starting to look at or to consider like vegan materials. And they but one uh-huh. of the challenges they said they cited exactly what you said is that there's this perceived luxury around leather because apparently they get their leather from this certain type of Spanish bull and you know what I mean. So it's seen as exclusive and it and 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 luxury but the fact that they're even i suppose you know try, uh, open to considering other options i'm ho- hopeful that there's maybe a shift so it's interesting that you you say that yeah. I'm, I'm glad you shared that when you're sharing with the buyer like when you're educating them are you educating them from like an ethical point of view like you know telling them about the animal cruelty and the environment or um are you kind of just saying no look that the product is you know superior because uh, you know of this so or do you do a bit of both I do a bit of both, and I do some uh, reading of the other person's energy. Do you know what I mean? Like, I kind of see what they're responding to and right. go with that right. direction. Um, you know, it's, it, it's, really, it's really tricky. But what I really try to stick to is the quality of the product because um, I've worked with the same factory for eight years, and I have a very high quality standard. And anyone that has bought my shoes and seen them knows that. And I've been told that, you know, out in um, at conferences and festivals and stuff. So um, I stick with that, and I then I I layer in facts. Um, I usually stick with like more environmental stuff because when you start getting into the animal stuff, I'm sitting, I'm talking to meat eaters, you know, and yeah, it's yeah. just it just I don't want to say it's mind blowing for them, but if you give someone too much information and you go really hard on the ethical stuff they're they're going to block it yeah and um so really it's you know being vegan being vegan and having a vegan business you do a lot of like psychology you know psychology (laughs) reverse psychology I mean it's exhausting you know all the different approaches we're like coming you know what I mean um is like it's a great prop in a way to talk about animals which is how I'm using it 
Um, so, and I wanted to go back to the car thing is that Mercedes Benz has been using, um, you know, a quote, faux leather, alternative leather for years and years and years. Oh, my car had it. Mm-hmm. Cause I was like, when I went vegan, I was like, Oh, my car has leather. And so they're like, no, it's not leather. I was like, oh, perfect. <laughs> but yeah, they've been using it for years and years. So oh, Right. Yeah. So let's hope we, we see some shifts. So thank you for sharing that. That's interesting. So just on that, I'd like you mentioned, you know, your products are available in a number of both online and physical retail stores, including, like you mentioned, some of those those big names. What, aside from the resistance that you, you mentioned with the buyers, um, what tips can you offer for how to go about any brand, whether it's shoes or, you know, food products or whatever, about mm-hmm. how to go about, you know, someone who's starting up a business, how they could get their brand into these kind of stores? Mm-hmm. Well, um, you know, the word vegan is having some attention now and people are using um, the word plant-based and things like that, um, which is fine. I mean, whatever. It's kind of all the same. But when you say plant-based, it kind of leaves out the element of fashion, you know, because a plant-based shoe um it sounds kind of weird, doesn't it? It sounds bizarre, <laughs> and it's not really possible at this point. I mean, you've got to, ha- unless I mean, I'm sure there is somebody out there doing an entirely plant-based shoe with the sole and everything, but um, right now, for the kind of styles that I'm doing, it's not really feasible. Um, so, I put vegan in, in the in the uh, the logo a long time ago before there was even kind of a a thing about the word. But um, I would say. Being transparent and using that word, either vegan or plant-based, and really providing the um, information is the main purpose in even starting a business of any type, Um, Mm. you know, like a mission behind it. And to make um, positive, you know, higher consciousness choices or provide higher consciousness choices for people, because that is the future of humanity. I mean, there's so much resistance right now, but it is the future. You know, what is going on now cannot be sustained. Mm, Absolutely. So in terms of, you mentioned you deal with buyers. So are you dealing with like one buyer for several stores or are you dealing with buyers for specifically for individual stores? And can you explain Um, that a little bit? Each each store or each, you know, company like Nordstrom will have a set of buyers, you know, like a head buyer and then assistant buyers. Um, each store has its own buyer. And, right. And, and you get in contact boutiques. with them directly. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I have done both. I've had people, uh, I've hired people to do it for me. And that's why I was talking about the salesperson um, kind of getting somebody trained to find somebody that can speak about the product the way that I can is very difficult. (laughs) I've had to do over the years, a lot of, you know, kind of jumping in and um, providing the information. But um, the person that I've found is pretty great and she is vegan. Um, So that's good. So yeah, you're, you're dealing with a lot of different personality types um, when you deal with the buyers and, um, yeah, there's not. I wish there was just one person I could go to that could get it in all different types of stores, but there that doesn't exist. Right, right, for sure. And you also have your own online store as well, so you're selling direct mm-hmm. to consumers as well as getting in the retail stores. Okay, fantastic. Mm-hmm. I didn't Great. really start out that way. I started out just doing wholesale because uh, I didn't want to compete with the accounts that I was selling to wholesale. But um, you know, as you go down the years, you've got you know extra styles left over and all. That. And I originally just started the online store just to get rid of the 
you know, the extra stock that I had, the onesies or the twosies or, you know what I mean? Or, yeah. But, um, but now I, yeah, I do sell from, from online directly. Cool. Cool. Um, so let's talk about a little bit about competition because there's now, mm-hmm. um, you know, a much more diverse range of vegan shoe brands. A lot of people mm-hmm. kind of coming into the market. How do mm-hmm. you go about standing out both, you know, within the vegan business arena and, and outside of it and maintaining regular customers? Mm-hmm. Um, well, you know, around when I started, there were two other brands that started as well. And, um, you know, it's human nature to see them as competition. And I I kind of go in and out of it. I mean, yes, they are competition, but we all have different styles. Like no one's ever going to make the exact same shoe, you know, and look at how many different brands there are in leather shoes. So yeah. there's room in the market and um, I just do what I do, uh, make sure it's high quality and make sure the message is pure and whatever happens, happens, you know, um, I have seen a lot of vegan brands start up and I wish them luck. It's a very difficult industry, but I feel like I've kind of paved the way for them quite a lot. Absolutely. Talking talking about this stuff and getting press on it, which I got a lot of press, brought a lot of press. Um, But, you know, I'm kind of um, working on different things now. I'm writing a book on consciousness, which will, you know, tell the story of Olsen Haas and a whole bunch of other things. So, oh, wonderful. Oh, yeah, wonderful. kind of bringing the whole thing together because it's not just being vegan or just doing yoga or just meditating or just, you know, it's none of these singular things. It's all of these things together. And Got it. Um, yeah, all sense. the separation that's happening, you know, uh, you know, all of the shooting, all of the uproar about people's sexuality, all the uproar about, you know, religion and war and all of those things. It's all connected. Uh, to this um, idea of separation, which is very obvious in humans versus animals in people's minds. Yeah. So it's all connected. So um, it's just going to, the book's kind of going to talk about all of those things. Oh, I look forward to to reading that. It sounds wonderful. Yeah, that's, that's congratulations. Now you touched on um, media. You got a lot of media to um, mm-hmm. certainly, particularly when you launched. Um, so how did that come about? Like, did you hire a PR agency? Did you deal direct with the media? Did they come to you? How did that sort of mm-hmm. come about? Um, well, in the very beginning, um, I'm trying to think back. In the very beginning, no, I didn't have a PR. I didn't have anybody calling. Nothing. Um, I literally, uh, I had the samples made with the factory, you know, had the photographs taken and put up a website. And then immediately, um, this publication in New York was called, uh, Time Out. It kind of, oh yeah. Like, I know yeah. Time Out. Yeah. There's yeah. one in London and Sydney. In and, yeah. Cities, oh, yeah cool. It tells you what to yeah. do in the city. And uh, they contacted me right away and did an interview. That was my very first oh. interview ever. I had never <laughs> contacted them. I, you know, it just was just answer the questions. And then, like, the publication was out, like, the next couple of weeks or so. And um, I picked up the magazine at the grocery store and saw the interview. And this, I screamed. I was just like, ah, was not <laughs> seeing my face in a magazine with words that I had said and it was just really freaky. Um, but it was, and then I got my first order. They just called me. They were from California and they just called me. So no, I didn't have anything set up at first. And I started, um, 
getting more press. And um, then I had a showroom contact me, an eco showroom. They're no longer in existence. And um, I signed on with them and they kind of took over stuff. But it was really, uh, people use this word, it was really organic the way it started. It just kind of started. It's not, It's interesting you say that because I always say when I teach people, you know, because my background is journalism and that's a really great example of how you get into one media outlet and then it kind of snowballs because, you know, other media are, are reading other media uh, or listening to it or watching it. And, and then they're like, oh, OK, how can we put a spin on it and do something different? So uh, that's a really, really well, great example of that. Yeah, I um, I would have I then hired, you know, some assistants and um, then later on I had interns as well. And I would tell them, like, look, it's it's the magazine's job and the media's job to know um, the next up and coming cool thing and to stay totally like on top of what's happening. And that's what we are. We are what is happening now. Like we are what's going to be happening in the future. And so become friends with these people and they'll keep you in your mind in their mind when they're doing other. That's stories, right. Absolutely. Yeah. You become a it, source. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, totally. But, and, you know, as long as you, you, I've always fully cooperated, like, oh, you want a picture? Here's a picture. Here's images. I mean, whatever you want. It's, you know, I don't, they're like, oh, can we take some from the website? Of course. I mean, you didn't even really have to ask. Um, so, yeah, getting the media is really easy if you're doing something that's like new and fresh and cool and, you know. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I guess as well as you go on, as you become an older brand, you can do the whole anniversary thing, you know, so you could do the whole five year, 10 year, 20 year thing, which I think Tofurky did um, a year or so ago, you know, Seth Tibbet said a similar thing, you know, got lots of press to begin with, because it was new. But then as you get older, you can kind of do the kind of anniversary card and get a little bit of uh, media coverage that way. So yeah, (laughs) that's how I kind of, yeah, like last year, I was feeling like, I need to get back out there again. I've kind of um, rested on the work that I did before. I mean, nothing changed with the product or the styling, but um, I felt like, okay, I need to kind of take my mind back to the beginning. And it was almost like kind of a new beginning last year. And um, this year with this new uh, salesperson and um, the thing about collaborating with a question you had, um, I'm joining forces with like two other vegan brands and we're doing the, um, the, the veg fest and the animal rights conferences and things. Um, kind of oh. getting back, I'm getting back out there. Um, the other, one of the other brands is like five, actually they're both kind of older brands, not older. Are but, they shoe you know. brands or compliment? Um, one is Bourgeois Bohème. They're out of oh, the I UK. Yeah. I interviewed yeah, Alicia, Alicia earlier this week. Mm-hmm. Funny. Oh, really? Okay, cool. <laughs> And so yeah, she, she mentioned that she was collaborating with with some brands in America. So you're obviously one of them. That's yeah, <laughs> it's me and then um, Gunas handbags. Oh, lovely. Yeah, I know Sagant. Oh, how lovely. Oh, three of my favorite brands. I'm so glad. Oh, great. <laughs> yeah, we all have um, we all have really great products with uh, good quality, yeah. Yeah. and yeah. our styling is all different. And you know, just in emailing and talking, we all kind of have the same mindset of elevating uh vegan fashion and you know you go to these vegan festivals and you rent a table or they give you one for speaking or whatever and you know they're they're long days and you're talking to a lot of people and it just shows a more cohesive package to have like three brands sitting there and then one person representing them 
Absolutely. That's a great example of collaboration among vegan yeah. brands. I'm really delighted. Thank you for, for sharing that. Oh, now, no well, problem. And we're doing <laughs> the shows all across um, the U.S. for the rest oh, of the year. So, you know, right. like uh, Segunda's doing the one in Washington, D.C., and then um, with our salesperson, Brenda, and then Brenda's coming to Chicago, and her and I will do Chicago, and then she flies back and does the Southern California one, so we're kind of like dipping all over. All over the planet, that's wonderful. And dividing up the work. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent strategy. Now, as well as the media, you've also had some really great celebrity endorsements. You know, you've had the likes of Cameron Diaz wearing your Mm -hmm. shoes, Moby, Emily Deschanel. Um, Mm. How did you get that to happen? Like, did you, again, was that through some kind of agency? Did you approach them directly? How did that come about? Um, It's also kind of happened organically also. Um, I didn't really seek out celebrities. Um, but Emily Deschanel is a, a long time, uh, vegan and works with Farm Sanctuary. So I think that's how I met her through Farm Sanctuary. Um, Colby Calais, one that worn my shoes. Um, she, I met her stylist in LA when I was doing a shoot for TV guide and they, um, they're her stylist and they said, Oh, you know, she's vegan and we want to keep in contact with you for some shoes. And then they also um, put me in contact with the Price is Right, the television show here in the oh, U.S. Yeah. And because um, they do eco products um, on their Earth Day specials. So they put Olsen Haas on Price is Right two Earth Days in a row a couple of years ago. Wow. Um, the other celebrities, uh, Cameron Diaz wore a pair of sandals of mine in Vogue, in uh, American Vogue. That's very ago. cool. That's great mm-hmm. kudos for your product. So when you say she wore them, so did she just kind of happen to wear them and then you found out and then you just kind of go, oh, look, you know, Cameron Diaz wore the shoes and put that on your website? Or did she well, kind of contact you and request them or buy them or something? No, she no, she um, didn't contact <laughs> me. Um, I was actually with the smaller eco showroom in New York City and they got a press request for a celebrity for Vogue. A lot of times they won't tell you who it is and they sent you know a variety of shoes and then you know on the shoot um either Cameron or her stylist picked my shoes to wear in the photo shoot it happens all different kinds of ways um yeah yeah it's just curious I'm always curious about that how that happens you know with uh you know getting the celebrities to wear it whether you kind of you know send them free shoes and hope for the best or whether there's um you know other strategic type ways of of doing it particularly for smaller brands who maybe can't afford to you know just kind of send things out randomly so um yeah yeah, it's um I luckily I I have had some celebrities uh take the shoes which is essentially stealing them because I wasn't gifting them to them. Um but then I have other ones that are great like Emily Deschanel will just she'll just send in an order. She fully is fine with buying and um let's see who else. Well like and I just got a request for Joaquin Phoenix, the actor for a movie. Oh nice. Yeah. His costumer oh. contacted me, so I set some shoes for that. So it's kind of like um, you just have to weigh the balance. And believe me, I've sent out a lot of shoes that never made it onto oh, the celebrity's right. feet. So, you know, it's, um, that's always disappointing. But, you know, it is what it is. So exactly. you just have to kind of gauge, yeah. you know, what the project is, what is the um, likelihood that you'll get a picture 
of the celebrity in the shoes, um, you know, or whatever. Yeah. You know, Colby Calais, I, I've been fortunate in, um, you know, getting the shoes on the celebrities. Um, I could do more, but I'd also be paying a PR company a lot of money per month. Do you, to, do you have any experience with celebrity gifting type events that I've heard about that happen particularly a lot in L.A.? Yeah, I get emails for those things all the time for the for the award shows and everything. Um, but I don't have a product that I can put in a gift bag, you know. So oh, okay. if I did, I would do it and see how it went. Um, I know they also do like um, celebrity gifting suites, I guess, where you set up a table. Yes, and the, that's right. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I've never done one. I've never oh, done okay. one. Um, That's great. So you've had a lot happening, yeah, organically. Okay, good. Thank you for sharing that. I've always been kind of curious how to, how people go about that. So I appreciate you sharing those little uh, trade secrets. <laughs> yeah, and I think that, um, you know, if you're putting out a product that's vegan, um, there are a lot of celebrities seeking that. And even yeah. though they might yeah. not be open about the fact that they're vegan, um, they're definitely eating that Um eating that way that's their lifestyle to kind of stay looking their youngest and you know what I mean yeah for sure and I guess that's where media comes in again because that's where they'll they'll maybe hear about you um and then Mm -hmm. you know become aware of your brand for sure Mm -hmm. um what about social media um Elizabeth Mm -hmm. what what's um what social media platforms are you most active on what what are most successful for a shoe brand such as yours um you know these days you have to do all of them um and what was really funny about social media is when it first was becoming a thing many years ago, like Facebook, my assistant was like, you need to get on Facebook. I was like, I don't need that. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I, I didn't even know what it was. You know, I'm like, I don't need that. She's like, no, you really need it. And luckily I had, you know, a much younger, <laughs> much younger uh, assistant. And so she's the one that set it up. She set it up and I, she's like, you have to have a personal to have a business. I go, I don't want a personal. <laughs> so, you know, Facebook used to be the thing and you used to do stuff to grow that. And then that all kind of changed a couple of years ago. And I talked to some PR people. I'm like, how come I used to get all these likes? And now I don't get likes. Like, what's happening? They're like, oh, they're doing gate blocking. And now you have to, unless you put money into right. sponsor, into an advertising campaign, um, you won't get any traction. Like you'll get like one or two likes and you're just like, wait, what? So if there's a post that I want people to see, I'll put like $20 on it or something and it'll reach, you know, seven to 8,000 people or something like that. I don't, I haven't really spent a lot of money on advertising. I haven't had to. And I've kind of not wanted to, you know what I mean? I've kind of felt like I have the product. If, If you want it, you want it. If you don't, you don't. Um, but um, you have to put money there. And then now, of course, social media is more popular. Uh, not social media. Sorry. Instagram is more Instagram, popular yeah. now. Yeah. So I've been trying to. I can imagine with these shoes, you'd, it'd be quite visual. So that would probably be quite a good platform for you to show your shoes because people want to see them. Yeah. So I've been trying. I've been trying to post more because I'm very I didn't come from the generation that's constantly taking selfies and picture. I didn't really come from that. I no, mean, I mean, you really, we used to have a camera <laughs> with film and you like, you're like, 
okay, I have 24 shots or whatever. Do I want to take, you know, you thought about it. Now you're just like, snip, 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 snip. And, you know, I'll put a filter on or whatever. It's like so different. Um, like literally taking a picture of yourself used to be considered really cheesy. I know. And now it's just like, I when I do it, I just feel so like weird. <laughs> but That's um, funny. I know. You've got to do. Think- Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, I kind of think I'm so glad that social media wasn't around when I was young, like in my 20s. <laughs> oh, I'm sure I would have posted a lot of inappropriate things. <laughs> oh, for sure. For sure. Yeah. We can just te- keep ours tucked away. Exactly. Yeah, because yes, I mean, they, they like, <laughs> these days they like the employers look at the person's Facebook page. That's right. You're right. They do. And they're looking for people to recruit. And I think a lot of young people don't think about that or they, yeah, it's, mm-hmm. it's very well, they're, interesting. They're more aware of it now because stuff has happened. Yeah. Know? But um, yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm kind of glad I didn't grow up like that. I mean, it, it could have come into popularity like in my late 20s, I guess early 30s yeah. and that would have been yeah. fine but, but it didn't so yeah it was a little bit of like a learning curve like oh I have to pay attention to this it's something you have to pay attention to like all the time That's but true. but what's changing excuse me what's changing now is that you can buy likes you, there's companies that sell likes oh, yeah and sell yeah. interaction so yeah so now right. you go on someone's um page and they have 30,000 likes you know, 30,000, whatever, I'm talking about Instagram. Yeah. And you're like, you do? Really? Like, it just doesn't, it doesn't seem legit. It's not really a good gauge of how popular or unpopular a company is. And what I've also noted, it's not a good gauge of the actual sales of that company. Right, right. Because I look at people that have more followers and I'm like, I'm doing more business than you are. I have less followers, but I'm doing more business. Yeah, exactly. And I think people are starting to realize that now that it's not just all about, you know, how many, because I think there was a report done actually that found that a lot of big celebrities, including presidents, like, you know, um, and politicians, totally. about like a large are proportion are, are fat. Exactly, exactly. So it's, uh, yeah, it's all becoming a bit, uh, a bit strange on, on social media. Yeah, it's sure. all like diluted. So I just exactly. keep it really organic. I just post good content of mostly the pic you know mostly the shoes the product I don't center it around myself and you know it is what it is <laughs> exactly so now you mentioned you um you had a job before you started your business so for those people who are you know they're employed at the moment but they aspire to owning a, a vegan run business what in your opinion um, Elizabeth what are the key things that they need to take into account before making that leap from employment to self-employed or running their own business I mean, I really think the most important thing is to be in the field or industry that you want to start the business in. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. if you want to be, if you want to start a vegan restaurant or a re- like you should have worked there and at least managed. I mean, you really need to know the ins and outs because once you get into your own company, I mean, things come out of the woodwork that you never would have imagined. And you really need to, um, you need to know what you're doing to make it last. So many businesses open and fail for this very reason. The person doesn't know the industry that they open in. 
Right. No, it's a very good point. That's a really good point. So um, what are some of the mis- mistakes that aspiring business owners make? That's obviously one of them that you touched on there. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the main one. And then the other one is um, you really need to pace yourself for the business, you know, possibly not making money for a number of years. Um, I was fortunate that I made money right away, but then it tapered off. And I wasn't prepared for that. I thought, oh, you know, oh, wow, we're off to a good start. We're just going to keep growing and growing and growing. Having your own business is like a, riding a roller coaster. <laughs> you know, and especially when you're trying to do something that's new and teach people. I mean, it's like, whew. So you just have to put your seatbelt on and be ready. So if you're not ready for that and you can't handle um, the stress of that and the financial part of that, um, then you're not ready. And also, I would say, um, kind of the investor part and and taking other people's money, um, that's a tricky thing, too. Um, And I, people have offered me money, people have offered to buy the company, etc. But, you know, I I can't be 100% sure that they would continue the way that I've done it. And I'd still have to speak for the company anyway. But um, I just... I just didn't want to let it go because I didn't want to see it go away or take any chances of it going away. And it's, you know, it's tricky when somebody else owns your company or is giving you a substantial amount of money. They can do whatever they want. That's right. Yeah. People can sometimes get a bit excited about, oh, great, someone's investing, but then they don't kind of realize, well, that actually means they've got some control over it um, and and they've got a say in it and it may not be what what your vision is. So that's a a good point. And also, um, understanding the legal aspect. I mean, I've hired uh, multiple showrooms and I've had disasters occur and I had to take people to court and like all of these things that you never really, especially if you're a creative person, you don't really think about that in terms of the business side. So I'd say also having some legal counsel um, from the very beginning Mm, that's a side. really good point as well. Yeah, yeah, that is a good. I'm glad you've you've raised that. You touched on yeah the money, like the financial side of things. So obviously mm-hmm. there's different ways, as we mentioned, you know, to start up a business and to to grow it. You know, whether that's investing, loans, grants, and of course crowdfunding nowadays. Um, what were some of the yeah. ways that you've used to start and grow um, Olsen House? If you're comfortable sharing that. Um, well, it's totally self-funded. I'm a very private person to begin with. So, uh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Had, so you I had, had your that, job. Yeah, you I had, had your job, job with Tommy Hilfiger. Sorry. Did you hear that? Yeah, you had your job oh. with Tommy Hilfiger. Yeah, so, yeah, so it was I like kind of you self-funded it. Yeah, I did. I self-funded it. Um, you know, I, I was making six figures there and I saved money. Um, I could have saved a lot more if I knew I was saving towards something, you know, but I, I didn't. And then um, my parents, I got a very large order. My parents factored some money for me, meaning they they gave me the money to pay for the production. And then I paid them back when I got paid because the larger accounts will um, not pay you for 90 days or whatever. So I did that one one time um, about two years in. But um, no, from then on, it's, well, the business maintains itself financially. Sure. Yeah. yeah um, sure. Obviously, I'd like it to do a lot more, but um, it is what it is. And I did not want to take in investors because I I wanted to keep the message and what I was doing pure. 
Um, I didn't do, I've never done the crowdfunding thing because I feel like that's really just for startups. And yeah, um, yeah. I don't, yeah, I've had, I've had people like, why don't you do that? It's like, I'm not going <laughs> to, this is for eight years. I'm not going to go, oh, I need to crowdfund. That's a little strange. <laughs> I've seen people do it, but mm, I don't yeah. know. Okay, thank you for sharing. I think that's actually good advice just to remind people, you know, that, you know, it is a good idea that while you've got your salaried job to put some money aside, so you're not just kind of jumping feet first and, and hoping for the best. So I'm glad that you, you raised that. Now, one of the things I wanted to ask you actually was about the use of the word vegan in your marketing mm-hmm. materials, because like you said, you mentioned it, uh, you put it in like, you know, very early on. So uh, mm-hmm. tell us a little bit about that, because there's different, you know, schools of thought about whether we should use the word vegan, or it's too scary, or now it's become a bit more trendy. Tell us a little bit about your your choice of the the, 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 the use of the word of it and its prominence. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I have it in the logo and I have since the beginning and people told me I shouldn't and I did not listen because there's a lot of shoes out there already and there's a lot of shoes that are uh, vegan, uh, you know, not made of leather, but that are made in China and they're just made that way because the material is cheaper and, um, you know, whatever else. So I wanted to distinguish myself from those types of brands and I don't produce in China either. And um, it's the main reason for even starting the line is so I can talk about the animals and talk about how they produce leather and how it affects the environment. I mean, it's the reason for the company existing. Wonderful. So to not, I mean, I I don't know. I'm a, I'm a pretty direct person and um, I didn't really see it as using it as marketing. I saw it more as being, honest and getting the conversation started and no regrets for putting vegan in the title yeah yeah no never awesome never awesome oh, i love that <laughs> it's great no. it's another and one I mean, of those whole... discussions that's going on you know it's like oh yeah. should we what, what word should we use are people so, saying I'm... well you know now that now that there's this term plant-based out there i mean there'll be another word believe me there'll be another word <laughs> yeah but you're right the vegan, the word vegan is all encompassing. It means I don't, I don't eat or wear animals. Plant based is kind of like I eat plants, but it leaves out all the other stuff. Yeah, yeah. No, it's great. I think it's fantastic that you're taking a, a leadership position on that. That's wonderful. Um, so the last couple of questions are around mindset, and I know you mentioned that you're you're writing a book on consciousness, which is fantastic. Mm-hmm. So tell us about some of the um, what what personal qualities do you believe are essential to staying the course and running a successful business, and particularly an ethical business. Mm-hmm. Um, well, um, one that I'm not really good at is patience. (laughs) (laughs) I want things to happen like yesterday and I don't understand why they don't. Why does it take so long? Um, Why is everyone so stupid? Um, So patience is uh, really key and being able to, um, you know, monitor your emotions and staying professional because things will happen that will infuriate you and you just have to kind of take a breath and just deal with whatever's happening. Um, not overreacting when crazy things happen Um, and staying centered in why you even started the business. So it comes back to the why. Yeah, it's uh, mind control is really what it is. 
Mm. So are there any specific, yeah, are there any specific like things that you do, like strategies or techniques to use to kind of ensure a strong mental and emotional well-being as a business owner? So I'm talking things like maybe meditation, self-help mm-hmm. type stuff or anything mm-hmm. like that. I've meditated before I even knew what that word meant. So, you know, before I was a teenager, I was meditating and I didn't, I didn't think anything of it. I just did it. Um, so yes, I meditate. Um, I do yoga and, um, eat healthy right now. I'm doing, um, a juice fast, which I do periodically. Um, and of course being vegan, you know, you don't have to worry about a lot of things that other people, you know, organ failures and all this kind of stuff is just like not even an issue if you're not taking in, um, meat and the chemicals and stuff. Um, so yeah, I do all of those things. I like to spend a lot of time outside. Um, and I live in Florida, so we have the beach and I can hike in the woods and stuff. Just really very mind clearing and, um, you know, that's that's why people enjoy nature because plants are of a higher consciousness than humans. So you're actually mm-hmm. elevating your consciousness when you are amongst them. That's why it feels so good. Now, I've wondered that. I always love being in nature. That's why cause I live in the city. So I love that there are parks around because it makes such a difference when you get out of mm-hmm. your typical environment and just be around trees and nature. So, yeah, I can definitely mm-hmm. relate to that. Um, mm-hmm. What have been some of the key lessons you've learned through running Olsen House? Um, really the biggest lesson for me has been patience and, um, patience for the business side and patience for humanity, really. Um, and that's really, really, it's been a long time for me trying to get to this point because I just, I don't understand in my own mind how it's not so obvious we, we shouldn't be doing these things and why you can't just change immediately. I think yeah. that I think that you can change immediately and should, but um that they they don't respond to that. So it's like patience and balance are the things that I've really taken from Molson Haas and I feel like I've reached that now. Do you know what I mean? And, yeah. In yeah. A long time. Um and I've definitely learned a lot about people and um oddly enough I've learned to relax. Um Oh, that's an interesting one. I like that. There's not many people yeah. who have said that. That's a really cool answer. <laughs> yeah, I mean there's there's a lot of anxiety um in owning your own business, especially in the beginning. And um it can wear on you and if you just stay true to what you're doing and relax and let it flow, um, it feels a lot better. And I love that. That's really that was good a, advice. <laughs> I did not, believe me, I did not want to do it. Like, I lived in New York City. I was like, relax. Like, I'm not going to relax. I'll relax when I'm dead. You know, I'm relaxing. Everyone is vegan. It's just like, okay, Elizabeth, like, relax already. Like, it's not your uh, problem. So, like, you don't have to carry the whole weight of this and, you know, also kind of the collaborating and joining forces thing. Um, it feels really good. 
Absolutely. No, it's really good advice. I love that. I can take heed of that myself. Relax. I felt and myself relaxing as you said that. So yeah, I mean, relax, like chill out. <laughs> I mean, isn't that kind of the message that we're, that we want to promote anyway, like health and balance. So like, if you're all like aggressive and anxiety, like n- no one wants to be like that. That's true. That's true. Actually. So if you're relaxed sure. and chill and, um, you know, confident, then it's like they can respond to that energy. Yeah, because they're like, like, yeah, I want some of that. What's she doing to, exactly. to make that happen? And then they're exactly. open, they open the conversation and then they're more open to hearing um, your right. message. So, yeah, that's great. So what's your long-term vision, um, Elizabeth, for Olsen House and yourself? I know you touched on the book. Um, mm-hmm. where, where, what other things um, are, are in store for you down the track? Well, um, you know, Branching out into other categories has always been something that I've wanted to do. Um, doing some handbags, some belts, you know, things that are all related to the accessories um, accessories industry. Um, there are those things that exist, but just to add, you know, add a little bit to it. Um, I've wanted to, for a while now, open a vegan restaurant. Where I live in Florida, there are not any. There's uh-huh. not any. There are some juice places that have opened up, but there's no full go into a restaurant, sit down, eat really amazing food that's all vegan. Um, you know, a lot of the places that serve wraps and stuff, you can get vegetable wraps or whatever. We do have a vegan raw restaurant, but it's about 30 minutes away. So, and I've always, and I resisted for a while. I was always like, I'll open something in New York or LA. Those things are already happening there and it's not happening here. So I may end up opening something here. Wow. That's pretty exciting. I'm not sure. And if it's only just so I can go eat there, (laughs) (laughs) but you know, I mean, bringing it here and I keep talking to people um, around town and I live in a, um, you know, it's, growing more cosmopolitan it's spread out all over the place but um you know we have a beautiful beach and we have a lot of water we have the intracoastal and there's a lot of boating going on here and um we have all of the things of a big city but it's very behind and kind of the more progressive health stuff well you're obviously pioneering so it sounds like you you're maybe hearing the call to be pioneering in the food industry yeah i mean um, (laughs) we we do have a small vegan community here um we actually um have his name's adam he runs an organization called one protest and he's getting rather large and he uh, makes posters for uh groups that protest different things the circus we just recently had um a bear hunt here in florida so he was protesting oh. that and they actually got it stopped they were going to do another one oh, and they got it stopped um so he's here and there's a couple of other vegan organizations but the vegan restaurant thing is lacking um and i could easily partner with um a restaurant in new york that is already existing and doing amazing and just bring it here right right 
Oh, fantastic. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you've got some uh, amazing goals. That's fantastic. And, and as I mentioned earlier, I'll uh, certainly look forward to uh, to reading your book. So do keep me posted when that's oh, out. Yeah. And uh, sure. you shared some lovely um, information, really helpful information and, and um, oh, expertise and insights, Elizabeth. It's been absolutely lovely speaking with you. Thank you so much for you joining too. me today. Okay, thank you. <laughs> so that was Elizabeth Olson from Olson House Pure Vegan. You can find out more at olsonhouse.com. And that link is on the show notes page at veganbusinessmedia.com forward slash podcasts and going to episode 42. Now for our vegan business news roundup. Demand by students for plant-based food has prompted U.S. college campuses to significantly up their vegan offerings. According to the latest Vegan Report Card survey carried out by People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals Peter 2 Youth Division, the number of schools offering at least one daily vegan option has more than doubled over the past two years to 62%, compared to 45% in 2015 and 28% in 2014. The survey of 1,500 four-year colleges and universities across the US also found that 9% of colleges now have an all-vegan dining station. An American university, the University of California, San Diego, the University of North Texas and Warren Wilson College have dining facilities on their campuses that are entirely vegan. Health, environment and animal welfare were among the concerns cited by students. The Vegan Report Card grades every school's dining program on various criteria, including the availability of vegan food at every meal. It also features an interactive map that helps students compare their school score to those of campuses nearby. So this is good news for vegan business owners who work in the food sector. Not only is there the possibility of collaborating with educational institutions, the fact that students are embracing plant-based foods at school means they're likely to seek out vegan-friendly eateries outside the premises. It's great to see young people leading the way and embracing food that's good for everyone. Spiral Diner, a vegan eatery in Dallas-Fort Worth, is planning to open a third location, reports Culture Map Dallas. The award-winning restaurant will open in 2017 in Denton, one of North Texas's most vegan-friendly towns. It's certainly all happening in Dallas. This is about the third or fourth story I've reported on in the past few weeks. Spiral Diner opened its first outlet in 2002 in Fort Worth and a second one in Dallas in 2008. It's known for its vegan versions of diner classics with a Tex-Mex twist, including nachos, veggie burgers, chili burritos, hot plates, sandwiches and salads, all served in a 50s-style surroundings. The new venue in Denton will also feature a large patio. It's great to see another vegan business expand. I've only ever been to Dallas Airport to get a connecting flight from Sydney to New York, but I hope to get there at some stage to check out these vegan eateries. Vegan cafe and bar Mono in Glasgow has been named as the Scottish city's favourite business, reports the Evening Times. The venue took out the top gong at the 2016 Glasgow Business Awards, which are organised by the city's Chamber of Commerce. 
Mono opened in 2002 to provide a space for people to enjoy good food and drink and enjoy live music, art performances and exhibitions. And it shares its roof space with an independent music store, Monorail Music. The business beat the other five contenders that included a mall, a brewery and restaurant, a bar, a science centre and an online children's wear retailer. This is such good news. I met Craig Tannock, the director of Mono, last year at a business networking breakfast I hosted at London VegFest UK. And it's so lovely to see vegan businesses winning these kinds of awards. You may remember in a previous episode of Vegan Business Talk, I reported that readers of Time Out magazine in Melbourne, Australia, voted a vegan restaurant as their favourite eatery. It's also worth noting that it's important for vegan businesses to enter these kinds of awards. I recently helped a vegan business here in Sydney put together their application for their local business awards and they were shortlisted. Even if you don't win, it's still a fantastic profile building opportunity. You can capitalise on being nominated, shortlisted and of course if you win. And often these awards have ceremonies and local media attend and it's great for networking. So I really encourage you to enter awards whenever you can. And if you need help putting together your application or you need it edited, these are services that I offer and you can get in touch with me by email at katrina at veganbusinessmedia.com. As you'll know from previous episodes of Vegan Business Talk, vegan grocery stores are on the rise. The latest is in Toronto, Canada, reports BlogTO. Good Rebel is not shying away from the V word. In fact, it's gone so far as to emblazon a large V in a circle on the white brick front of the building. The store features a range of products, including food, cleaning items and clothing. Owners Mercedes Featherby and Mohsin Akbarali also offer ready-to-eat sandwiches, salads and smoothies. As well as being vegan, many of the products sold are also local. Their cheese fridge features Ontario brands such as Nuts for Cheese from London, Tree Nut Cheese from Toronto and Boo Moo from Guelph. They even sell cheese making kits for those who like to do it themselves. You know, I wrote in the introduction to my book, Vegan Ventures, Start and Grow an Ethical Business, that my vision is that every store and every street and every mall and every airport is all vegan. It's a grand vision, I know, and uh, some may say it's idealistic. But each time I hear about vegan businesses expand and vegan stores and supermarkets like this one open, it's one small step closer to mainstreaming vegan living. I love sharing these stories and I do hope you enjoy hearing about them. I did worry with doing a weekly podcast whether there'd be enough vegan business related stories to cover each week. I'm thrilled that there's plenty and I've never come up short since episode one launched back in January. And on that note, if you know of any vegan business related news, do get in touch and let me know as I may cover it in an upcoming episode. You can reach me at katrina at veganbusinessmedia.com. Finally, meat giant Tyson has invested in vegan protein alternative company Beyond Meat. As part of Beyond Meat's latest fundraising initiative, it's given Tyson a 5% ownership stake in the company for an undisclosed sum. The investment will provide additional capital to help Beyond Meat expand its product portfolio and distribution. 
According to a joint media release, Beyond Meat will remain an independent, privately held company led by founder and CEO Ethan Brown. The news was reported widely in mainstream media, including the New York Times and Wall Street Journal, and it's been largely celebrated by animal rights advocates with the hope that these kinds of investments by meat producers into plant-based foods will reduce the numbers of animals killed. Now, some have raised concerns that investments in vegan businesses may be used to prop up the meat company's animal-based industry. Tyson Foods Executive Vice President of Strategy and New Ventures and President of Food Service Monica McGook said the move meets our desire to offer consumers choices and to consider how we can serve an ever-growing and diverse global population while remaining focused on our core prepared foods and animal protein businesses. Now, certainly Tyson is not known for its ethical treatment of animals. Animal rights groups have exposed extreme cruelty by workers to chickens, for example. So it remains to be seen how this investment will play out. I'd like to be optimistic and believe that as consumer demand becomes so great for plant-based foods, meat producers such as Tyson will invest more into it and far less into animal products. Let's hope that's the case and let's keep promoting vegan living to expand that demand. So that's it for this episode of Vegan Business Talk. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed the show, I'd really appreciate it if you gave it a review and rating on iTunes or any other platform you're listening on. Finally, I encourage you to head over to veganbusinessmedia.com where you can find more resources, including details of my media and PR consultations, copywriting, editing and proofreading services to help you grow your vegan business. I'm Katrina Fox, author of Vegan Ventures, Start and Grow an Ethical Business, and I look forward to catching up with you in the next episode of Vegan Business Talk. Bye for now.